and welcome to the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katherine Schifferdecker, and today, uh, 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 Katie wasn't able to join us for this particular podcast, but we have a wonderful uh, special guest uh, today. Uh, Dr. Love Seacrest is the Associate Provost and Professor of Theology at Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland and the author of the recent book, Race and Rhyme, Rereading the New Testament, which is a, a, a womanist reading of, uh, of uh, several texts from the New Testament. She's a New Testament scholar, uh, and that book is published by Erdman. So welcome, love. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to talk with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Well, uh, so this is going to be a two-parter, uh, which, we, which we sometimes do, because the topic is so large. Um, so we, ha we had a question from one of our listeners. Um, and again, uh, as, our, our, as our regular listeners know, you can go to the enterthebible.org website uh, to ask a question of your own, uh, which we will try to address on this podcast. Uh, but the question for today um, uh, is, is an important topic, uh, both for biblical interpretation, but also for, um, for current uh, events, uh, as uh, it's very relevant for, uh, for today. And the question is this, what did Jesus have to say about race and ethnicity? Um, and so in this, in this uh, first part of this topic, we're going to talk uh, or concentrate more about uh, concepts of race and ethnicity in Jesus' time. Uh, and then uh, in part two, we're going to talk about specific New Testament texts uh, that Dr. Seacrest has, uh, has written on. So, um, Love, I know this, this is a big topic. Uh, what did Jesus have to say about race and ethnicity? Um, how, would you, how would you begin to address it? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for to your readers for the question. Um, it's one that is near and dear to my heart. I have been focused on uh, trying to understand what the Bible has to say about race and ethnicity um, since I was a doctoral student. Like these were the these were the questions that I was asking as I was first starting, um, you know, a very in depth close reading of, um, of the New Testament. And I, um, and in fact, my first book, which grew out of my dissertation is all about that question. Um, but it's, it's focused on the apostle Paul, like his writings oh, okay. versus the gospels, which we're going to talk about today. Okay. Um, tell, but tell in me, that book, just tell me, tell our uh, listeners the name of that first book. Club. Yeah. Yeah. That, that first book is called a former Jew, Paul and the Dialectics of Race, uh -huh. um, and it's with um, uh, Bloomsbury now is the publisher uh, okay. of that um, of that book, um, and in it I uh, I start off by I start I was intrigued because I noticed in graduate school that as I was reading a lot of the um, early Jewish texts that many New Testament scholars and and biblical scholars read, like Josephus, who was mm. a historian, right. um, a Jew Jewish historian around the New Jewish Testament. Jewish historian, 
in the Roman period. Um, Philo, who was a Jewish theologian or philosopher, um, writing pretty uh, contemporaneous with the, the time of Jesus as well. And in both of their um, readings, and they have voluminous writings, right? That, right. Um, but in both of them, they use the word genos in the Greek, which is translated, among many things, it has a number of different translations, but one of them is race. Wow. And, um, and I was particularly intrigued when they talked about the race of Israel, right? Like uh, uh, the Jewish people or the Jewish race. That those, And I, kept, I, I would always wonder, what is it that they meant by that? It can't be what we mean by that today. What is it that um, they meant by that? And and that's what that first book explores. Um, I found that there were a lot of similarities between what we mean by race today and what they meant. For instance, um, uh, there's a very uh, there's a very close relationship between um, our concept of race and our concept of ethnicity. Um, so much so that many scholars are beginning, and I follow them in talking about ethno-racial as a way of showing that these concepts, ethnicity and race, are very close um, in many, many respects. Um, and similarly, in the ancient world, there was a Greek word, I've already talked about the Greek word, genos. Well, there was another Greek word, ethnos. And this is the word from which we derive the contemporary word ethnicity. But in our Bibles, that word shows up all over the place, ethnos does. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly translated Gentiles, right? Um, oh. And, uh, and, um, and what, what the uh, ancient Israelites, the early Christians, meant when they said ethnos is they were talking about over and against Jewish, right? Like there were okay. Jews and there were Gentiles. Gentile isn't really a racial group. But it is a way of signifying everyone else, right? Like we so non-Jews, yeah, not Jews. Not it, it Jews. was really okay. Okay. It, what you really couldn't find a person who was a Gentile who might self-identify that way. They might call themselves a Greek or a Roman right. okay. or a, you know a Syrian. Um, they would talk about their 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 homeland. So, um, so I found that the the concepts in the ancient world of referring to a homeland are very common with how we think about it today, right? That when we we talk about ethnic groups, we're usually like Jewish Americans, right? Right. Or uh, Italian Americans or German Americans. We're really African Americans. We're talking about a homeland, and and that uh, and sort of the the connection with a center of gravity with the homeland is also very common with how race and ethnicity were understood in the, um, in the ancient world. One way in which at least the ancient Jewish people differed is that, um, is that even more than a homeland, and it kind of makes sense because Jews were in a diaspora, right? right. They were right. for a Got long it. period of time. Mm-hmm. Even more than a homeland, their religion, their 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 convictions about the God of Abraham were uh, self-defining more so than a homeland. Not that a homeland wasn't important. Israel and Palestine, right. Right. very important. But of sometimes greater importance was the, the uh, convictions they had about um, about their um, their God, their religion, and so, so I, that becomes yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm wondering. No. If, I'm going to try this out and see if if this is right. Hmm. So, I'm a I'm an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, in the Old Testament, you talk about the goyim, the nations, right, uh, surrounding Israel. Mm-hmm. 
so there's this sense of um you know uh the, whatever the you know the moabites or the ammonites or the amalekites or whoever right they're associated with <clears throat> they're, they're different nations right surrounding israel um and and israel itself is a nation or a people but Among them. as as you know uh, after the exile, during the exile, and after the exile, as as the Jews are scattered, first the Israelites and then the Jews are scattered uh, across the ancient Near Eastern world. It's not so much about uh, nationhood as it is about peoplehood. Does that peoplehood? Yes. Is that that's fair a to great say? Word. Okay. That's in fact people, um, or uh, some of the translations of that word genos are our tribe, um, uh, people, um, uh, uh, nation, um, all, all of those, uh, or, um, even, um, like just sort of, a uh, swarm, right. A, a, a race of bees, uh, <laughs> one ancient writer uses, uh, uses yeah. that. it's sort of a type. Okay. It, it, it's getting at the idea of a type of a people or okay. A, okay. a type of an animal, you right. know, group, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a great way of thinking about it. Um, and, uh, um, and I think that, um, that the, that's one big, big difference is in, in terms of how Jewish people tend, by the time of Jesus had begun to think about themselves as, as a, so, sort of their religion was what differentiated them more from the people around them than just their territorial origins. Right by that time, yeah, not that really, they weren't. A, that's really yeah. helpful. The, and and religion, I think you know, as Christians, we sometimes think religion is what you believe, which is certainly part of it. But but for Jews, especially uh, the practices, the religious practices, right, of of keeping Sabbath, of uh, circumcision. Uh, of keeping kosher, uh, you know, I, my my doctor father was Jewish, John Levinson, and he yeah. talks about you know the reason Jews still survived is because they have a particular cookbook, right, <laughs> and uh, and circumcision and Sabbath, of course, that that these practices distinguish them from uh, the the nations around them or the people among whom they live. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with him. I think that the um, the practices that differentiated them and, and, and for, for the ancient Jews, it was even also difficult to separate out politics, their politics from their practices. That was all, it was a, it was, it was defining. It was a defining idea for them that the religion told them where to live, how to live, what yeah. to eat, yeah. what to do, um, who to obey, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. all of, all of that, all of that was wrapped up in, um, and, and, and that is the world that Jesus enters. Um, that's the world that, um, that begins to uh, differentiate, uh, differentiate, especially after the death of Jesus, a new type, mm. right? Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but Christians as well. And in uh, later New Testament writings and, um, and post-biblical uh, uh, early Christian writings, right? The, the Christian race is actually be becomes a new, a new construct. And that's what I was so curious about and what yeah. uh, started me off on this, this whole uh, um, trajectory about talking about race. Now, if we want to sort of switch to like a historical understanding of what the people were saying about themselves to actually what's in the Bible, um, I think the best way of thinking about that is to differentiate the, you know, the, 
the um, what, what's similar from what's uh, from what's different. And this religious component is one of the major um, differences, as I've also said. But some of the things that are similar show up uh, in the in the Gospels, um, which are, are primarily concerned about the story of Jesus as well. So like the inner group tensions hmm. that we experience today. Um, whereas today, uh, the, those tensions, at, at least in the United States, but you can make a case that um, even uh, uh, in many countries around the globe, um, um, skin color becomes one defining way of talking about major d- divisions, right? And um, and they can connect with and intersect with other ways of defining people, like uh, economic status. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I have often had people say, yeah, well, in, um, say, South America, we don't think about race as black and white the same way Americans do. And um, I will say, yeah, well, tell me about the poor in your country. Do they skew darker or do they not? <laughs> right? like uh, you, and you'll yeah. find a, a way that, that, that skin color intersects with mm. other kinds of important uh, social components like economics. But but it's true to say that the in the in the American context, in the US context, skin color has become like the defining way of talking about race of of of, of and it's the tension between blacks and whites. Um, and, and in some ways also whites and Native Americans, that has been the defining tension that has sorted ethnic groups uh, throughout U.S. history on into today. Um, that tension isn't the same in the ancient world, that um, the, when, it, when it comes to, say, thinking about who was enslaved in Jesus's day, it, um, it were, there were conquered peoples of any skin color, hmm. right? It wasn't yeah. really a skin color kind of thing. So that's a that's a pretty important difference. But one of the major similarities and one of the ways in which I have sought um, to find leverage for how the Bible can be helpful in thinking about the racial conflict that we have today is in looking at the ways that um, intergroup co- uh, conflict shows up in the Bible. Uh, let's let's start with one well-known one, like uh, Pharisees versus Sadducees yeah, right. versus... Uh, the Jesus followers, right? Like those are, that becomes a critical tension that goes through um, the gospel stories. Um, but I've already talked about Jews on one hand, uh, uh, Christian Jews or Jewish Christians, however you want to talk about our Gentiles, like the tensions among those groups become very helpful for thinking about, um, for thinking about tensions. And, um, and one, and, and the gospel that um, that we weren't going to talk about today, the Gospel of Matthew, really has a lot of those kind of tensions show up in quite a number of ways that um, is interesting. Let's, uh, for instance, the Gospel of Matthew starts with the genealogy, right? And yeah, right. Um, it, it, it identifies Jesus by his tribal origins, right? Um, and is noteworthy in the sense that it includes sort of uh, the relationships that non-Jews um, had uh, over time, right? Like one of the things that I've heard Old Testament scholars say, and maybe you can elaborate on this, is that um, in, the ancient, in the ancient Israelite context, it's really hard to separate out like a pure strain of this people group from another people group that there was a lot of intermingling and that you see that same thing even in Jesus's uh, genealogy. Yeah, you see that uh, famously. There's there's only four women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew one, and and they're all four 
um, you know, kind of marginalized women yeah, for, for various reasons. Uh, Tamar yeah. uh, is the first one who is uh, uh, Judah's um, not wife exactly, but actually daughter-in-law, and then and then yeah, uh, mother of his children. Uh, and Tamar is a Canaanite, as far as we yeah. know, right? She's not an Israelite. And then you have. Uh, Ruth, uh, who is, uh, of course, a Moabite, famously, yeah. Uh, who yeah. who joins herself to the nation of Israel, right? But she's uh, she's not herself Israelite; she's a Moabite. And then, of course, you have um, Bathsheba, though in the uh, Matthew's Gospel, she's not named; she's called the wife of Uriah. And there's some yeah. debate whether she's Israelite or not, but um, she's certainly. She's not. She there's some uh, right. The 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 circumstances uh, of Bathsheba and David's relationship is of course fraught with uh, fraught. yes with power <laughs> dynamics and yes uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, that's a story for another time. Um, and who am yeah, I? But oh, does, Rahab. It, of course, I missed Rahab. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Before uh, before Ruth, even uh, the uh, the. The father of uh, the mother of Boaz is Rahab, who is again, yeah. of course, a Canaanite, uh, uh, who saves the the really uh, dense uh, Israelite spies right at the beginning right. of Joshua. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting way to begin uh, the gospel. It to is say that Jesus is not pure uh, or yes. in the right. sense He's of mixed. racially pure that, that white supremacists talk about today. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He is mixed. Right. right? He is right. part, he is part Canaanite um, yeah. uh, in some sense, right? Like that's something that uh, many, uh, or at least one leading woman, a scholar, Mitzi Smith talks about uh, and, and, and tries to um, highlight that, aspect of Jesus' identity as a way for us to, to reflect on uh, yeah. today in light of some of the, right, the discourse in, right. in um, you know, some, you know, sort of fascist kind of discourse that wants to talk about purity, yeah, right. uh, racial purity in a way that just doesn't bear um, up under scrutiny. Right? No. Even Jesus. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Is, uh, is one, uh, um, uh, can be, is identified in our holy book, um, in along those lines. Um, but there are other there are other of these moments in the Gospel of Matthew that uh, seem uh, loaded with uh, sort of ethnic tension as well. There's a um, the another highlight moment really is a great commission, hmm. uh, which is uh, kind of I'm going to actually bring this up right now in my Bible software so that I can um, get the uh, the wording. Um, Therefore, go <clears throat> and make disciples. I'm reading 28:19, Matthew 28:19. Mm -hmm. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, right there, there's a moment which, um, uh, depending on your ideology, uh, has been a, a, a sort of it, it has become a fraught moment. It's not necessarily fraught in the context of Matthew, but in as much as that kind of an ideology of taking over, right, um, other uh, other countries and imposing your um, uh, your perspective or your religious views on another country has been associated with the the evils of colonialism and conquest, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like even, and there and there's there's one. 
um, African woman scholar, Musa Dube, who's, who writes about that in her book, Postcolonial Feminist Interpretation of the Bible. She talks about um, like the this ideology um, that has uh, come to dominate parts of uh, U.S. history and world history, right? Taking off from this mm-hmm. uh, sort of importing conquest notions into the spread of Christianity. Um, so that can be a problematic moment. This isn't what I don't think Jesus had in mind. But yeah. what's interesting is that we don't talk a lot about verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. Which is a really interesting, very Jewish moment, right? Like right, in yeah. that, the rabbi, Jesus, right? He's a rabbi, and he mm-hmm. teaches about the correct interpretation of Torah. That's the that's that's really what Jesus has been doing throughout the Gospel of Mad, uh, of Matthew. Has been saying your interpretations of Torah are this, but I say mm. this is what God the Father um, uh, meant or prefers in terms of how you interpret interpret scripture so that so it's it's both a very it's it's kind of i want to say that matthew the gospel of matthew has these universalizing tendencies right right? go to all nations and teach them but it also has these very particularistic tendencies as well teaching them all about torah (laughs) right that's a a very particularistic move well it it Um, kind of reminds me of of isaiah right like isaiah 2 where, where all the nations are going to come together right and and we're going to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks which is just this beautiful vision right it has never been realized yet in world history right Uh, so it's so it's universal universalistic in that kind of sense but it's also very particular right what mountain are they coming to mount zion right the mountain of the lord's house to worship the god of israel right so it's not it's not kind of all paths lead to the same you know, mountaintop, it's, it's a very particular God, right? The God of yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all the nations are, are coming to, uh, to worship in a very particular yes. place in Jerusalem. In a very particular place. And I think you see, you begin to see those tensions in the text that we are um, going to explore um, uh, in just a little bit. Um, but there are, there are moments uh, in Matthew 10, for instance, uh, right in the beginning of the chapter, Matthew 10, 5. Uh, this is where um, in the narrative, Jesus has sent the the um, disciples out to do their own missionary journey. In fact, chapter 10 is called the missionary discourse. It's where he's teaching them about how, um, you know, how they should interact with 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 conflict, how they should preach the um, preach the good news, and um, but the first thing he says as he's sending them out is, "Don't go among the Gentiles or into a Samaritan city." Right? Yeah, it's a right. very particularistic moment. And in Matthew 15, which is um, the uh, the text that where Matthew engages, or I'm sorry, Jesus engages with the Canaanite woman, this whole interaction between Jesus and the Canaanite woman is one that is just loaded with ethnic uh, ethnic um, discourse or ethnic uh, influences. Um, it, it, uh, it, it talks about, <clears throat> I just want to read a little bit. Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon, 
which are uh, outside of Israel. So it's the it's a it's it's a it's a moment where Jesus is is going into uh, territory outside of Israel, having just told that you know, or some chapters back, having told the uh, disciples that that isn't a part of their mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. So that, so there's that there, there's that tension happening right then. And then a Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, "Show me mercy, son of David." Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting there that first of all she's mentioned as a Canaanite, which is harkens back right. to sort of an an ancient way of thinking about um, the other. Um, not not she's not a Gentile who uh, of origin, which you know Matthew uses the word Gentile all over the place, um, but she's a Canaanite, which which immediately sort of evokes. The legacies of hostility and right. animus right. and um, and war, right? That have between Israel, sort of, and their chief opponents um, that have gone through uh, many um, Old Testament um, um, uh, history, right? The, right? the history of of the Jewish people. So, by calling her that, Matthew, who's actually recording this, right? Who is who is putting the story together? He's reflecting on the Jesus tradition and writing it down in ways that sort of reflect his cultural context, mm. and calling this woman uh, and uh, a Canaanite. Um, so already we have this, we have ethnic tension. But then she calls him son of David, yeah. which is uh, a sort of a messianic title um, to give to. So it, it's a. Uh, it's it's very much like having uh, a foreign king come to your homeland mm-hmm. and address him as if he's your king. Yeah, uh, right. Like so, it's uh, so already she is exhibiting a um, uh, she's making a political and religious statement um, in a way that uh, just peeking ahead to the end of the story that goes beyond what he might've seen in his own homeland. Right. Yeah. Where is he's, he's engaging in conflict with the religious leaders of the day. Here's this Canaan, here's this outsider yeah. um, already giving him the deference and heralding him as a, as a messianic figure when, um, when so many inside Israel have not yet been able to come to that conclusion or, are or still coming, are really grappling hard with that c- conclusion. Yeah, um, so she so she's seeing things that even his own uh, disciples, or or maybe his disciple, but even uh, yeah, people within the Jewish uh, community don't recognize. Let I, I'm going to pause us here yeah, uh, sure. just because uh, we're gonna we're gonna move to those texts, uh, that text and another one in Matthew, in the second part of this series. But uh, let me just say. Again, thank you for joining uh, us for this podcast, love. And I look forward to diving more into the details of the text in uh, in the next uh, podcast, the next the part two of this podcast. So uh, let me just say to our listeners, thank you for listening again to this episode of the End to the Bible podcast. Uh, come back for part two, uh, and uh, you can get high quality courses, commentaries, resources, videos, and other reflections at enterthebible.org. Thank you for joining us.